Hey divas, I'm Sydney Hampton, a Louisville, Kentucky-based drag queen, horror hostess, and most recently, the host and editor of Really Queer, an LGBTQ plus movie podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by a guest who co-hosts with me as we discuss the queer themes, tropes, and the characterizations, for better or worse, of some of our most beloved films, from masterpieces to cringy guilty pleasures. Today's topic can be a bit heavy for some. I'll be putting timestamps for this episode so that you can skip the more brutal parts. However, the subject matter of today's movie is less about the brutality and more about the film's legacy. We're talking about Ticked Off Teaslers with Knives, the 2010 I Spit on Your Gravy exploitation film written and directed by Israel Luna. The film follows a trio of trans women who exact revenge on the men who brutally assault them and murder two of their friends. This film came out in the beginning of a major change in the dynamic of acceptable queer behavior, imagery, and vocabulary. Largely, this change was made by folks within the fringes of our community. When it released, there were calls to boycott it, GLAD condemned it, and activists got it removed from film festivals. It's a film that starred real queens, both cis and trans, as queens, portraying and telling their own story. What I really want to talk about is why a film like this is important to queer cinema, and how its story, its language, and its choice and cast are good, bad, or ugly. I want to try to take off my 2021 goggles for part of this discussion, and I'm encouraging you to do the same. Then we'll put those back on, and we'll discuss the film a little bit deeper and talk about how the film relates to us today. I'm eager to revisit this years later with all the work we've each done, having learned more and more about the importance of language and representation. With all that said, I'd like to welcome my sister in Christ, mother of the No Boys Allowed Discord, all-around wonderful being. She is doll eyes, doll mouth, doll legs, dolly parts. Hello, Sydney. Hey, Diva. How are you? I'm good. It's so nice to be here in the lovely, really queer studio that is yes. so huge and has lots of luxuries and amenities. Yes, and there's multiple mics. Yes, there's multiple a spa, mics. there's a gym. Mm-hmm. It's um, fully furnished with leather and fur, uh, faux fur rugs. Uh, there's a fully stocked bar in the corner when Travis of the bartender's course. over there waving at us. Hey, baby. Yeah, um, I'm very happy to be here. I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm I'm so appreciative um, that you were able to join me today for this discussion um, for a film that we both have a love-hate relationship with. Mm-hmm. Maybe less love-hate and more of love and... Um, love critical analysis. Yes, yeah. critical analysis. So today we're talking about um, TikTok Teaslers with Knives. Mm-hmm. Before we get into it, though, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I am a local drag entertainer here in Louisville. Um, I was originally from the Cincinnati area, but I live in Louisville full time now. Uh, I've been performing in drag here for about three years. Um, I'm a trans woman as well. Um, a lot of people like to say trans activist, but I, (laughs) I personally don't think I've done any activist work outside of just being a visible trans woman. Um, but I, I love performing. I love being social. Um, I love creating looks, and um, I do love doing makeup. I consider myself a makeup artist, definitely. Um, and yeah, I just I feel like I'm very enveloped here in the queer community. Um, I'm a big gamer. Um, I, I have a little fun gaming Discord that me and Sydney got very close on over the past year. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, uh, I love traveling and taking my gigs all over the place. So if you know anybody who wants to give a girl a booking, you know, hit me up. Yes, and where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at dollyparts underscore. And if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at at dollyparts with an extra S at the end. So at dollyparts. 
We gotta get your. We gotta get your media. We gotta get yeah, your media together. It's gotta be in tuned. I know it's it's not, and it really needs to be. But we just if you if you need if somebody already has Dolly parts, just mm-hmm. do what I did because there's another Sydney Hampton out there. Um, she has a Christian podcast mm-hmm. called uh, Living with Living Living with Christ or something. The irony. Yeah, very irony. Yes, very that. Um, just slap a V on it. The, the Dolly, Dolly parts. parts. And then people will be like, oh, the Dolly Parts. I'm oh, like, that yes, one. That, yes. The Dolly Parts. That's actually a good idea. I find that it's probably a better idea. And you can uh, find me on Facebook just by searching Dolly Parts. I have a like page that you can keep up with all my, you know, creator content and, mm-hmm. you know, performer gigs and pictures and... Show flyers. Show flyers and whatnot. Find out where you can go to tip the doll. Yes. But yes, um, Dolly is definitely an established figure here in Louisville. Um, she's also been a figure, um, at Play Louisville, a local bar here, um, doing work with the Sundays, uh, where they used to do the Drag Me to, Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, Drag Me to Hell and Drag Me to Fame. Yeah. It was, uh, two, like, little local competition series that were kind of modeled after RuPaul's Drag Race and then Dragula as well that, um, J. Jolie ran. Um, she worked at the bar at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was very instrumental in doing things behind the scenes with those and, judging for Drag Me to Hell. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And, you know, then the pandemic took all that fun away. But we're slowly getting back to getting to do fun things on Sundays at play again. And I'm very excited about that. Yeah. So if you're a local, if you're a local diva, as most of you are, um, feel free to, not my husband yelling at the cat, <laughs> um, feel free to stop in at play. Um, Dolly is there um, quite a few Sundays. Yeah, pretty much every Sunday at this point. Yeah. Shows right now are at 8 and 10, but... Um, things are going to go back more to normal soon, so they'll be more at 10 and 12. Um, otherwise in Louisville, you can, uh, catch me at Lemu Drag Brunches very regularly. Yes. On, uh, Saturday, Sundays. With um, the Daniel Cole. The Daniel mm-hmm. Cole, producer of, uh, the Hard Candy events, and, uh, yeah, Drag Brunch at Lemu here in Louisville. And, um, yeah, those are some incredible high-quality events. Yes, they are. With, uh, amazing... High whore drag. High, high whore drag, amazing food. Um, you really get your money's worth when you go to anything Daniel Cole, and uh, that that goes for Hard Candy and Lemu. And I'm we're very excited to get back into doing those again this summer. The food is bomb. Yes, I so went to one. That French toast casserole, like I think about it every morning, and I say I wish I could have that as a meal every morning. But you know, Lemu only comes around once in a blue moon anymore. But yeah, yeah, we'll be back to doing those regularly. So hopefully, if you're in Louisville, we can check those out. You won't regret it. So tell me a little bit about your introduction to horror. What was the first horror movie um, either that you saw or the mm-hmm. first horror movie that kind of struck and struck a chord with you that got you interested? Um, the first horror movie that struck a chord with me that really uh, resonated and frightened me, honestly, as a child was uh, Chucky or Child's Play. Work. Um, I have always been obsessed with dolls. I'm a big doll collector. Makes sense. Um, yeah, it makes sense. It's a brand. Um and uh, just kind of finding out what Chucky was through, you know, hearing my family or, you know, my siblings talk about it and uh, this killer doll, I was intrigued by it. And um, they used to show, you know, the movies uh, late at night. Like, I, I think it was, it was still AMC back then that did it. Probably. Um, that or TNT. I don't yeah. Know, no, maybe not TNT. Yeah, TNT was more like drama series and yeah, things and like action. that. Yeah, Um. But I, I caught Child's Play one night late at night because I had a TV in my room and I wasn't supposed to be watching TV that late. And I, I did and I watched it and it terrified me and I got very sweaty and I'm paranoid and my anxiety jumped out very early in life. Um, 
And so I was I was very scared of horror at a young age, but the older I got, the more um, intrigued I got with it. And I would start watching the Halloween movies every year when they would come on. Um, and the Halloween movies were very, very fun for me. Um, I started getting more, like, pleasure out of the anxiety that it gave yes. me. And the, the sweaty palms I would get while holding the remote, changing yes. and flipping the channel back and forth. It became more fun. And especially when I started uh, kind of getting more into the idea of what, like, a scream queen or, like, the damsel in distress was. Every drag queen is obsessed with being a scream queen. We all want that yeah. moment. Yeah, and I, I wanted that moment as well. Daphne was definitely one of my favorite like characters as a child that I would always imagine being and always wanting to be the kidnapped one tied up waiting for Fred to come save her. You know, that, that, that kind of, uh, that kind of character trope really like struck a nerve with me and I identified a lot with it. Um, so as I got a little bit older, I would say became more of a teenager. That's when I really delved into horror as a main interest of like, you know, movies that I liked or games that I played. Um, I played a lot of like old survival horror video games. Uh, that's, that's where, my interest really, really peaked with it and still to this day lives, lives on the Resident Evil series and all that. You know, that's, that's, those are very big parts of my interest now. Yeah. And today we, uh, we play Dead by Daylight. Yes. Um, more than, more than our mental health really <laughs> appreciates. Yes. As we just scream for three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know about a lot of this actually, which is interesting. I wasn't expecting to be, um, Surprised by anything? Surprised by, by much and asking you questions. I thought this was just for them, but I was not expecting Chucky Chucky the doll to be your entryway into horror. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely so was. I was expecting more of like Hills Have Eyes, the Saw series, the remakes of the Texas Chainsaw. Because for me, that's that was my mm-hmm. my entryway. It was more of like the 2000s horror. Yeah. Um, but I was also like hella sheltered and mm-hmm. I didn't have access to movies in my room right and i think that those things definitely solidified like my horror being more of an interest for me but my introduction to horror and was definitely chucky i remember being scared late at night thinking that chucky the doll was gonna come in my room and kill me while i was asleep i just imagine you as like like a little like in my head in my head you're like a little like a little girl with Mm -hmm. like like cute little pigtails um and you're like in bed and you're like, you've got your hands just mm-hmm. like slightly over. Little nails on little plastic little, nails. Little, little long like talon nails. And you're just like looking up like fearful at your wall and your wall is like covered in dolls. Mm-hmm. And your sibling just told you about a killer doll and you're just trying to figure out which one. Which one is secretly on. Chucky. <laughs> so. Yeah, very that energy. Yeah. So um, as far as the, the film goes, mm-hmm. um, I already kind of gave a... Uh, content warning in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the part where I'm going to outline the plot. So I will be going over the... Um, I won't be going into super detail about, like, the, the gore or anything like that. Um, but I will be discussing, you know, what happens in the film, which includes uh, violence against trans women. Um, so keep that in mind and look for the timestamp in the description. Um for what to skip to if you want to skip over. If, if your virgin ears cannot handle it. Yes. Um, so arriving to a gig with a fresh shiner, Bubbles, played by Crystal Summers, our main protagonist, is met with concern from her castmates. Although she refuses to talk about how she acquired the black eye, the dressing room's matriarch of sorts, Pinky Latrim, played by Texas drag royalty, Calexis Davenport, explains anyone who messes with one of her girls is messing with her. The girls perform for a very kind crowd who pay the divas down, as they should, 
And as the girls pack up, they make plans to go to a nearby bar to hang. So Emigration, played by Erica fucking Andrews and Rachel Slur, played by Willem Belli, can meet up with some trade Emma has excitedly procured for the night. Everyone agrees to meet up for Trashy Tuesdays, where Nacho and Chewy, the trade in question, wait. They tell the girls the only way there'll be a party is if they get Bubbles to come. For the third guy, they have waiting back at their place. Bubbles is the DD for the evening, and the girls get her to drive them to a suspicious warehouse where the girls convince her to come in for a drink and leave, despite her telling them that she is not up for this. The girls arrive, and the third man reveals himself to be Boner, who assaulted Bubbles, and she explains he sexually assaulted her. He then explains he didn't do anything wrong because he believed he was raping a quote-unquote real girl. He hits her with a baseball bat and takes out Rachel and Emma. Meanwhile, Bubbles alerts Pinky, who gets Tipper to drive her to Bubbles' location using a location tracking app on her iPhone. Bubbles gets away and meets Pinky and Tipper outside in the nick of time. Seeing she is injured, Pinky goes after the men. She is struck in the head, unfazed, and she tells Boner that he hits like a bitch and proceeds to whoop his entire ass. She gets stabbed several times by another man and goes down, not before laying some additional hurt on the other other man. Tipper runs in just before Pinky gets shot, saving her life. Unfortunately, when Tipper tackles one of the men, she falls onto his knife, and in her final act, she puts a stiletto right through his eye, and her wig stayed on. Bubbles is put out of or sorry, Bubbles is pulled out of the car and is assaulted again by Boner with the bat. Later, Pinky meets up with Rachel at the hospital, in full day drag, of course, and find her awoken from the coma. She explains through a game of charades that she cannot speak. Enter nurse Connie Lingus, played by Chase Wade, giving full L-driver Kill Bill nurse vibes, who explains Dr. Phil Lacio will be with them shortly to discuss her condition. And no time later, a quick scene change, Bubbles can talk again. However, she now has a lisp. From here, the movie takes the weirdest, most off-the-wall turn. Some bizarre Kill Bill shit. Fergus, the bar owner of their workplace, takes them to a weird field where the girls are all dressed in guiche, quite literally, and they're to train in martial arts. You really gotta see it to believe it. Cut to the climax of the film. Bubbles awakens from a nightmare where she felt Boner's eyes on her as she performed at the bar and flashes back to the night her sisters lost their lives. She gets a phone call, but we're not privy to the discussion. As she prepares a drink, a knife she just used to cut lemons goes missing, and she realizes she is not alone in the house. Boner shows up, being the transphobic racist we need him to be, to drive the I-spit-on-your-grave narrative we're about to get into. With the unhinged gleefulness of Chop Top Sawyer, he explains that he is here to finish the job. Bubbles makes a break for it, only to be confronted by Chewie and Nacho, who apprehend her. She breaks free again, however, with a neat trick she learned from the martial arts day trip she took with the girls. She fights well, but left on her own, she ultimately gets knocked out and tied up to a chair, and is subjected to a very long, drawn-out explanation of a card card game that determines how she dies. Finally, after like 10 minutes of listening to this man talk, we get to have fun again, as Bubble raises up and neutralizes both Chewie and Nacho, and with a boo-bitch and a kick to the face, knocks out Boner. We get some insight into the contents of the conversation on the call earlier. It's revealed that Rachel and Pinky were outside all along, waiting to come in through the unlocked door. But Bubbles locked it, which is why it took them so long to join her. Boner and friends wake up to a Swiss blade with a retractable blade that has been shoved up in their ass. The girls tell them they get a chance and, oh my god, I can't even get over the fact that I just had to say 
up their ass on my podcast. The girls tell them they get a chance to get the items out of their butts, and Bubbles pulls out the damn cards again to explain her own set of rules. Luckily, she forgets the rules she made up, and Rachel says, Fuck this, you don't need flashcards for murder, and yeets Chewie against a wall where his blade goes off. While she and Pinky pick on and kill the cronies, Boner fishes the gun out of his anus and manages to get away and grabs Bubbles, threatening to kill her if anybody moves. He tells one of the cronies to grab his knife just before Rachel kills him, and he apprehends Rachel. Just before they kill each of them, Pinky attacks Boner and Rachel kills her crony. Bubbles gets the gun and everyone yells for her to kill him, but he doesn't believe she will because she's insecure and only feels worthy when a man who treats her like shit because that's all she thinks she deserves, and she is attracted to him. She does shoot him, though. And the girls give him several knives to the mouth, neck, and one final blow to the head as she remembers all of her sister's faces. The divas got away with it, too, presumably. And that's ticked off two stars with knives. Dolly, um, for... Do you feel like that's a the, a pretty well-summarized... Um, did I miss anything important? No, I think you summarized all the main plot points well. Yeah. I think so, too. It was a, it was a weird... It was a weird plot it's to It's a weird summarize. plot to read out, um, yeah, and summarize in itself. Uh, yeah, the, the trajectory of the movie is definitely all, all over the place. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that you did, a, you did a fair job there. Well, thank you. Um, so, with this film... So if you if you missed if if you skipped ahead because of the timestamp from here on we won't really be talking about the the violence against the trans women so much, mm-hmm. um, but there is something I want to talk about at the beginning of the film before any of the action really takes off and that's the um, the the exposition we get with the characters you know the the girls the people mm-hmm. we're supposed to care about um, in particular. Um, Eric Andrews and uh, and Tipper, yes, um, played by Jenna Sky. Yeah, the two characters who who well, end up yeah passing yeah. away. So they're only in the movie for the first you know the first act. So with with this this whole exposition where we get to kind of meet the girls, you know mm-hmm. the the bar scene looks very familiar. You know we get I believe we get some shots of like the Rose Room and then um, a nearby bar. I'm not sure of the bar's name, but we get to see the girls interacting with one another in their native in their native habitat so mm-hmm. to speak yeah um i think the movie did a great job definitely of kind of setting the tone for you know how you know drag queens and you know trans women which you know we don't have to keep saying drag queens and trans women you know uh, at this point I, I believe that we should all be aware that those things are you know interchangeable in terms of like a, a queer lifestyle and a community yeah. and um not saying that every drag queen is a trans woman or every trans woman is a drag queen but in the context of this film especially, let's let's just say, you know, if we refer to one of them as drag queens, let's, for the sake of, you know, for the sake of ease, say that all of these characters are supposed to be represented as trans women in this movie. Right, yes, even if they're not played by trans women. Yeah, it definitely um, did a great job, I think, of uh, showing the interaction between, you know, drag queens backstage at a show and uh, kind of, you know, drag queens being friends in a city and... You know, meeting up with your girls and having some drinks and having a good time and doing a show and being able mm-hmm. to kiki backstage and, you know, how protective and sisterly we are over each other. Right. And um, I think for all intents and purposes, they did a great job portraying that for every other thing that this movie failed in, in some ways. I think it absolutely did that right. It definitely showed a realistic, um, you know, portrayal of that. Right. And this was made in 2010. 
as far as I'm aware, and I've seen a lot, a lot of queer movies, both good and bad, I've never seen drag queens and drag sisterhood shown in a way that feels authentic. Yeah, and feels familiar. And feel familiar better than this, Mm -hmm. with the exception of RuPaul's Drag Race, which is literally, and Dragula, and you know, those types of shows, but those are literally, like, that's literally, like... Drag queens on camera. On camera, so... This is, I think this, this movie did an, excep- an exceptional job in its, its build-up in its first act and um, showing what, you know, an average night backstage at any bar that has a drag show, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about what we're going to do after, you know, it, whenever I was at play um, five years ago, we would be... You know, wrapping up the show around one thirty-two. Girl, where are you going up to Girl, this? where are you going? Mm-hmm. And we'd be figuring out where are we going to go. What, you know, who's open? Who's yep. open at 3 o'clock in the morning? Yep. You want to go to Triangles? You yeah. You want to go teddy to, bears? Or... Going to get, going to get no, shitty go spaghetti at the, um, at the Cafe 360. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, or... And waiting, waiting an hour and a half for your food to get there after mm-hmm. everybody else got theirs. And you're like, no, I need a to-go box now, bro. Yep. Like... It's, but you don't care because you're having such a good time exactly, talking to your girls, like, and it's it, everything feels safe and comfortable and familiar. And those moments, you know, those are so those are so important to to queer people. So to see this this these moments leading up to what what ends up being a you know a tragic a tragic end to two of their their lives mm-hmm. is a very it could happen to you kind yeah. of kind of moment. And yeah. I think that. This movie, at least in the beginning, approached that very, um, very respectfully uh-huh. in a way. And you know, they they meet up with these with with trade at the bar after. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and if anyone who doesn't know them. the term trade is oh yes, that's a good... typically um, reserved for like a more masculine man that you know you would uh, as a as a drag queen or a feminine you know entertainer or trans woman you would hit up and they would you know want to get with you even if you know they lived their life as as a heterosexual man yeah um you know they would you know make these exceptions not saying that getting with a trans woman makes you not heterosexual right but in the context of the of the of 2010 yes it was very that and also from the the viewpoint of of um society at large Mm -hmm. so yeah, so like you have this very real moment, right? Like we've we've all been there. Mm-hmm. We've all gotten. We've all scored our trades, so right? Say. And it's scary, you know. Mm-hmm. You think about like how often do we see, you know, gay men or or gay couples walking down the street being attacked, or trans women, um, being, uh, you know, assaulted in the street. It happened not too long ago with Eden the Doll on Instagram Live. Yes. And if you don't know about that, I encourage you to go Eden the Doll on Instagram and go look at her story and support her however you can. Um, Like, this is really, like, this is stuff that really does happen to our community. Absolutely. And it it was a real, like, some of the acting, like, well, some of the acting in this movie is cheesy and overdone and, and not the best at times. Yeah. Um... Definitely the scenes where, you know, the violence was enacted against these trans women, it was very, like, triggering for me, like, as a, as a trans woman, you know, it, it, those, those scenes of violence, you know, really did bother me sometimes and make me feel a sense of, you know, disturbed and, you know, yeah. as disturbance and, um, you know, discomfort. 
and knowing that I could be in these one of these situations one day and statistics say I probably will be, you know, in, in, in a situation like this or similar. Knock on wood. We Knock on wood. We no. don't speak it. We don't. We don't. But no, that is, and that's an, that's an important, an important um, thing that you said too, is that statistically it will happen to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of weight that trans people have to carry around every day. So a film like this, this is where I'm kind of getting into the meat of what I want to talk about, is that this film was very much crit- so criticized for its language. And a film like this, even though the beginning of the movie is, is triggering and traumatizing, um, be it because you are a trans woman or because you're a little, a little gaby sitting in the, you know, sitting cross-legged in the floor of your, you know, trans grandma, whatever house, like, you know, for me, it was, it was Lana's house watching this and you're surrounded by all of the trans people you love and you're watching this and you're it's really hitting you for the first time, like, you've heard about it, you mm-hmm. haven't seen it, you don't know anybody who's personally, you know, had it happen, but it's yeah. it's there and it's real, like, this is a movie that, you know, can, can hurt, but at the end, we get to see, you know, if you've, if you've seen I Spit on Your Grave or Ticked Off T-Stars with Knives, then you'll know um, what the ending is, and that is that the girls get their revenge, and you, you know, you see somebody getting bullied or picked on or hurt. Um, you always want them to, like, rise up and, and win and beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, and in real life, unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. No. So I think this movie is, you know, a fantasy trip uh, through the guise of, you know, um, some queer artists um, about what would that be if if the story didn't go the way that, you know, it always does go. What if it went, what if it went better than that? Yeah. And I think that's what really sets this movie apart from other revenge movies Mm -hmm. and um, things in, in more mainstream uh, media is, you know, those, the revenge movies told from the viewpoint of like straight or cis people, those are things that could sometimes really happen. Yeah. And, but unfortunately, in, in this case, and through the guy, like through the guise of a trans person, this, these are things that just don't really happen. So I think that this movie could be very important for someone to feel, you know, represented in a more positive way, in terms of you know, standing up for yourself as a trans person, and even even if it is fantasy, you know, um, it's it, it could be important for someone to see, and it could be important for someone to feel like. Empowered. Empowered by that. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I think that there are definitely trans people who probably did feel empowered by this narrative. Oh, I can confirm. There was a there was a gaggle of a gaggle of ladies that were empowered by this film Mm -hmm. that I know personally. And as a teenager, even then when I didn't really understand my identity completely, I I did feel a sense of empowerment from this movie as well. I I remember being very happy and like being very into it and being like, Yes, when they were you know, getting their revenge and, you know, right. all, all the while, you know, appreciating, like, the cheesiness and, you know, the campiness of it all. But, yeah, yeah, there was definitely a sense of empowerment for me as well. So the, um, something that this, this film got, um, kind of read for was that they felt like it was disrespectful to trans women. I feel like those people maybe didn't watch the film because well, I never I, felt like trans people were being I read a specific quote from Glad's article because um, Glad at the time if nobody knew this um, when this movie came out 
uh, boycotted it and yeah. ran a whole article on why that this movie was not a, a positive thing for the trans community and why that they believe it should be pulled from film festivals and not able to be released on a wider platform. And in the in the article, I read a specific quote that said that they believed it misrepresented the lives of trans women. And I think that was definitely told by someone who didn't have a good enough view of queer people and queer entertainers and how we live our lives and navigate the world. Because I, I think that seeing it from the point of view, you know, at the beginning of the movie, them going and working and, you know, be having this sisterhood and, you know, going and getting trade and doing their numbers right. and, and navigating, like, the audience and all that i think it was a it was a pretty realistic like example of how trans women live their lives it's a, definitely a realistic example of how i live my life there's a lot of people a lot of um a lot of trans people and cis people who do not want to it's kind of like trans drag performers are mm-hmm. an affront to what they want trans to look like yeah. because it's they feel that um, and Sarah Andrews, um, also known now as Bitter Betty, mm-hmm. um, talks about this a lot, is that... Of Wigs and Grace fame. Uh, not Wigs and Grace, of 1-800-Wig Takeout. Oh, Wigs my gosh. Grace, uh, I think, is... Cut that. <laughs> Just cut it. No, I, I won't, Sarah. I won't cut it. I'll be honest. If you ever hear this, I'll, I'll be honest. I messed that up. I'm sorry. It is Wig Takeout with those beautiful, giant takeout boxes and some of the best hair you have ever seen ever seen her dragon fruit is incredible if Mm -hmm. you've ever seen if you ever want to see the most beautiful pink wig look up her dragon fruit it's incredible but yeah so she talks about this a lot the the um it's hard i don't the idea of what a drag a trans drag performer is to a lot of trans people is kind of like a, a negative stereotype yeah it's a negative stereotype. It's something that they don't want to be associated with because they don't want people to look at trans people as only like, quote unquote, like circus freak performers mm-hmm. who that's the only walk in life that you have is to be in the club scene and be naked or, you know, half naked lip syncing on a stage and or prostituting um, or stripping. Performing yeah. as a woman. Performing as a woman. That's the narrative they want a lot of, uh, a, a lot of, I, I feel like it's safe to say a lot of trans people want to disassociate with. Yeah. Um, or did at the time when this uh, was, when any of the this controversy was backed by the trans community. Oh, or still glad. do. Still do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't think that's fair because no. I think that as trans people, you know, we're pushed into a niche in society or we have been for so many generations and decades. Yeah. Sex work and, and performing. So, drag introduced a, a way to, for trans girls to make money. Mm-hmm. That wasn't sex work. Wasn't sex work. It was a middle ground between... Not that there's anything wrong with sex work. Of no, yeah. of course not. But it's it's not for everybody. And it can be dangerous at it times. And it can be very mentally and emotionally taxing on people. And not it's it, not everyone can do it. And, you know, I, I, I don't think that you have to just be a cis man who, you know, wants to dress up as a woman to have a passion for drag. Exactly. I have a passion for hair. I have a passion for makeup. I have a passion for styling, costumes, recreations, performances. You know, and all that is drag. The best queens I know are trans. Absolutely. And and I'm a trans woman who does drag. And I, I'm proud of that. And I think that there are a lot of trans women who do drag. And I believe that they deserve to be as represented in, in the forefront of, you know, mainstream media with trans people as as trans people who don't do drag. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a good conversation to have, too, because trans women were 
the build like the creators of this of this medium Mm -hmm. of this art form so for them to now be essentially um told that this thing that they created is an affront to the image um that they should be presenting Mm -hmm. you know trans people are always told before they transition and after they transition before they transition they're told they should look like their gender assigned at birth and then afterwards they're told that they should adhere to you know more um apologies Mm -hmm. fishy femme um yeah society is always telling trans people what they have to do what they have to fucking do like mind your business and it's it's a shame and i feel like um i feel like i feel like honestly this is i feel like between this and pose there has never been at this in the beginning and pose all throughout has there's never been a better representation yep. of of a of a trans queen lifestyle yep. or um, black and like a black trans uh, or black queer ball culture lifestyle. Like we get to see things that were kind of pushed aside for a new narrative. Mm-hmm. So and not to say that this narrative's the only narrative. Like obviously there are trans people who have worked have day jobs at like yeah you know working a call center or a desk job uh, my sister's one of them she also does drag so like i mean there's a lot of there's, there's a, a lot, lot of, of avenue you can do anything there's a lot trans. of trans stories that need to be told and there's a lot of trans you know stories that have yet to be told yeah and i'm really I, i'm really hoping that going forward we can have a bigger variety and i think that that's that's probably the heart and the more positive idea of the message that the people at the time wanted from this movie when they were upset about it and yeah you know i I agree i I understand their i understand their frustration i understand their outrage however for me this movie represents a big part of my life and that especially the beginning it represents a big part of my lifestyle and who i identify as and who i you know see myself as and see my friends Mm -hmm. as so i think that the beginning of this movie got a lot got a lot of things right yeah i agree so with that said the beginning of the movie we both agree we love Mm -hmm. um so once we get to the um, the brutal like the brutalization, mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's whenever when the storyline takes off. I feel is like when this movie kind of starts to go downhill, go downhill in, in, yeah. in terms of quality yeah. and the amount of enjoyment I get from it, or at least the amount of structured enjoyment I can get structured, from it. Yeah. Yes, I don't the, feel the, like it's the fault of the brutality. I think it's the fault of yeah. Just what the flow comes. of the film, yes. the way it was built, um, the way that the scenes were put together and, and the choices of, you know, just the, the way that they, what they chose to do with their time remaining in the film, right. I think, um, is a big part of it. Um, so, you know, we, we see these, we see this, this brutalization scene and we, you know, we don't have to talk about details and things, you know, yeah. for, you know, reasons that we've already discussed. Um, and, you know, then it, it cuts to you know, the, the hospital scene. And, you know, I, I still feel like at this point it, it still feels the same. It still has that good fun sense of like, you know, the sisterhood and you see a lot of the fun interaction between the girls and it's very focused on that still. Yeah. Um, even, even with this horrible thing that has happened to their sisters and to the main character waking up from her coma, um, you still get a lot of fun from the movie. You know, uh, there's, there's great one-liners between, uh, Calexis and Willem, um, and uh, then, then we get introduced to the uh, character Connie Lingus, the nurse, mm-hmm. and and the doctor Felatio, 
And I think they did a great job of, like, really camping the scene up and making it feel like a really fun scene that uh, was enjoyable to watch. And definitely some of the most tongue-in-cheek, like, wink directly to the camera acting that we see in the film was uh, in this in, the, in that scene specifically. Yeah, it's a good palate cleanser following what we yeah. what we had just witnessed. Because yeah. I imagine a lot of... If, if a tran like whenever you watch that for the first time and you see those brutal acts, you're you're left kind of triggered, and then to like cut in with a long shot, another leg cam, mm-hmm. um, and that's another thing, uh, cinematography wise. Y'all know I'm a slut for cinematography. Um, they do a lot of leg cam shots where they'll have the 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 girls walking down a long hallway or across the street down the sidewalk. Um, it's very leg centric and. They have, like, these long shots of the girls just talking with one another and then getting to the room. And they have, like, this Three Stooges moment where um, Bubbles, the protagonist, can't she can't speak, but she can't tell the girls mm-hmm. that she can't speak. And they don't just, they can't just get it like the rest of us would. Like. Right. And they even, they turn to the nurse, uh, Nurse Connie Lingus, who is mm-hmm. just this over-the-top, like, slut bimbo valley girl nurse who's just being so like eccentrically uh sexual about everything mm-hmm. she's doing and we love it she's in a very like sex storm nurse costume right and um they're like you know asking her you know why why she can't talk and she's like oh well she done got knocked on her head and all the marbles fell out you know um this very like ditzy funny response and um she was like, but I think the doctor can explain it better. And Willem quips back with, uh, well, yeah, he's got a degree, so I think we'll listen to him. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I loved that quote a lot. Willem's deliveries and delivery in the, I feel like, I feel like Willem did a very, very good job with this film in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Willem was definitely one of the most the strongest actors in this film. Yeah. So whenever, whenever nurse Connie Lingus is, uh, speaking with Dr. Phil Lacio, um, and the girls are kind of learning about her condition. Mm-hmm. Um, He's explaining it in very medical terms that are not oh, easy to understand. Yeah, and you very... kind of just get that, that like very, uh, kind of look from Calexis and Willem. I would get less, uh, and more horny for doctor. Oh yes. Yeah. A little bit of that. both. I say, yeah, yeah I'm definitely not paying much attention to what he's actually he saying. He was using a lot of three and four syllable words, so I was kind of I was kind of losing losing focus myself. Yeah, um, and they were losing focus over his doctor bulge. Yeah. And uh, the his big, big stethoscope, his big stethoscope, and uh, you know they're they're not they're not getting it. So so Connie. So they throw in. like a like a huh? Yeah, and Connie leans in and she's like, "Bitch can't talk," <laughs> and it's just like this. It's like what three minutes? Yeah, a three minute cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just like a like a little bit part, but yeah, no, it's 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 just a it's just a good cal- a palate cleanser and um. Just a cute little scene. A really fun scene. And then, then, we from this point on. This, another weird cut. A very weird, well, and it, okay, so this film was um, originally inspired, uh, I remember the director, I, I read that the director was watching uh, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino's Grindhouse right. series of films, which is are some of my favorite films, period, in cinematography, cin- cinematic history. Like, I remember you wanted to watch those for your birthday. Yes, I, was like, I did. Um... I l- am obsessed with those films. I love those films. I think stylistically they're just like chef's Aren't kiss. Aren't those gore? Um, Planet Terror is. Death Proof's not as much. Okay. But it's those two series of films. And then the Machete films are also in that under that same kind of guise, but those are only Robert Rodriguez. And Robert Rodriguez did Planet Terror. Quentin Tarantino did Death Proof, just to clarify, um, in the Grindhouse films. But they were released... 
as double features together. Uh, and specifically in drive-ins, they were, you know, released very heavily, and they have yeah. that old exploitation film-like style to them. But it's modernized, because these came out in 2007. Right. Um, so the director was watching it with some friends, and his friends were like, why don't you do something like this, but with drag queens? And he was he was like, oh, yes, I absolutely could do that. That would, you know, that's a great idea. And he didn't want to tell the story of a drag queen male, a cis male drag queen getting gay bashed. He felt like that story had been told. And he felt that, you know, trans women were much more disproportionately, you know, prone to being hate crimed. And he that's a story that he didn't think had been told. So he wanted to tell that. And that's what brought on the idea of the film. So when they took these liberties within the editing of using the film grain cuts and things it was yeah in, in the chapter titles that we get throughout the film um it was it was to represent um their stylistic inspirations of yeah. grindhouse and exploitation films and quentin tarantino's work such as kill bill um and you know you got with nurse connie lingus the l driver kind of uh insp- inspired uh right shot with her walking you know with showing her boobs and her little feet walking down you know all that was missing was the whistle tune. Right. Which we won't do here so we don't get shut down for copyright. Right. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's less of a stylistic uh, issue for me. And whenever I, I say, like, a weird cut, like, the cuts are very jarring, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are supposed to be. Yeah. It's more the fact that she goes from, like, this little, like, five-minute bit about her not being able to speak to immediately waking up and being able to speak. Mm-hmm. So I'm almost like, what's the what's the yeah yeah the plot the plot in that way was a little you know disjointed and yeah what was the point of having her you know what was the bigger picture behind her like not being able to speak for that period of time and then with with uh her waking up and having a lisp yeah it was um not super central to like any specific theme about the film um and then later on we find out that she only has the lisp whenever she's scared or horny mm -hmm. and then at the end of the movie she mostly didn't have a lisp until she's about to shoot him. And she goes, uh, she said, um, eat sit boner. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so is she horny? As she pulls the trigger, is that what we're supposed to get? Or is she scared? I would have actually preferred if she had had a lisp up to that point and no longer had. Like, right. She no dropped the lisp. The fear yeah. When she, when she goes to shoot him, that would have been, it would have been a m- much better way to, uh, kind of intertwine that in. But. Yeah. And there was a, I, I think it's safe to say that this is kind of a melding pot of a movie of ideas. There yeah. Were, yeah. Um, as we talked about um, a little bit before in the movie, or before we started recording, um, we, we realized that this was kind of a community effort. Like, Sydney was watching the bonus features and was talking about all the different names and things that were kind of involved, and it really seemed like that this was a community effort um, in, in Dallas where they shot the film. Um, so I, I definitely think a lot of people had their kind of hands in in the direction of some of the scenes and yeah. little things that they wanted to put in. So I think that that probably speaks to like all like the small, like little weird tidbits that don't really go anywhere or pan out in a grander scheme. Yeah. And I mean, it, 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 it kind of works in a way for a smaller film like this, whereas mm-hmm. in a, in a, like a, a like a feature film that's going to be shown in like uh, movie theaters everywhere. It, it's gotta be more controlled because it's going to be seen by a wider audience. But like, I imagine that a lot of these little, like little one-off scenes were probably like, wouldn't it be like some random person? Like, (laughs) wouldn't wouldn't it be be funny funny if, 
Yeah. And then, oh my god, that would be so funny. Let's do it. Oh my god, it. that's so stupid. Throw it in. Like, Put it in. How often do we, like, how often do we as queens do that? Like, oh, absolutely. As we're talking about a number, we're like, what if you did this? Oh my god. Oh my god, then what if you pulled a hairspray can out from between your tits and yeah. then you sprayed someone in the audience in the face with it? Yeah, no, yeah. that would. That would actually be a great idea. You should do oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. You should totally do that. Yeah, not, I'm going to do it. Not at all assault. No, definitely not assault. Um, that's something else I wanted to discuss. Um, you know, you kind of kind of uh, can see the difference in um, what was acceptable and what wasn't. Because uh, this movie was um, set and made and set 11 years ago mm-hmm. in the year 2010. And um, I think that when it came to, like... It, the way that drag queens treated, like, audience members or service service industry workers or, like, you know, the dancers at the club. There was just, like, a, a different kind of idea here because mm-hmm. you see a lot of the characters in the film be very disrespectful to these people yeah, in a very casual way. And, you know, the old drag queen bitchy stereotype really jumps out a lot. And um, I don't really think that that's something that's valued anymore today or thought really. to be funny. I think everybody is a little bit... More expected to be respectful to everyone and, you know, we don't, hold themselves the girls, accountable. I think the girls used to look down on the bartenders, but the tea is the bartenders make more than we do. So. The bartenders make more than we do, and they, they do a very important job for us. They also, I'm, I don't I don't know if I'm allowed to, I hope the girl, I hope the local girls don't kill me for this, but the, the bartenders might work harder than some of us. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, I think that's really fair to if say. If you ever think you're, if you ever, if you're ever feeling high and mighty, look at yourself and... And look at your local bartender. Look at your local bartender and decide if, if that, if walking away and not tipping them properly is appropriate. Because... No, never, never. Because, yeah. especially, uh, of all people, drag queens, we, we're not going to tip somebody well. Us. And we expect everyone to throw money at us for just walking around. Walking around in a wig. And I'm not saying that's all all drag queens do, but, I mean, if I do a little walking number and I'm a little tired, I still want to get tipped. No tea. I still got makeup on. Yeah, I still got. I still look fucking good. I'm still wearing a full production head to toe. Yeah, I still got stuff tucked away places I don't want it to be mm-hmm. tucked away. It might not be fully tucked, but it's it's been a long night. Hey, yeah, and you're wearing a gown. I'm wearing a gown. You're wearing a gown <laughs> exactly. So yeah, like I don't the 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 mood of the uh, or maybe not the mood's not the right the word. tone the tone of the queens of the the way their behavior mm-hmm. um, definitely doesn't reflect. I feel like how modern modern standards are right. when it comes to like the drag community and the culture surrounding drag right the way they talk to one another though mm-hmm. very 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 still kind of still maybe yeah. a little less of the um maybe a little less of the like um, the racial connotations the racial, yeah there was there were a few moments and this happens in texas so i'm sure it's a very different you know we're in louisville we're like like dolly and i said earlier i believe earlier today um we're in between like uh, am I allowed to say in between Cincinnati and Chicago? Yeah, I think we okay. can. No, I'm, I'm going to say it if you don't. Yeah, so we're in between Cincinnati and Chicago where one place, I won't say who, um, is a little bit less... Uh, less progressive Less than progressive yeah. than the other. You can figure out pretty easily. If you if you live in the area, if you know, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like we're definitely on the on uh, in between those two things, but definitely leaning more progressive. Yeah, and whereas in Texas, you know, I don't know, I don't know how it is now, but mm-hmm. um, I imagine that the relationship between um, white queens and Hispanic queens in Texas is very different, uh-huh. um, given their you know the historical context there, and mm-hmm. also their and they probably a, have a larger, a you know, much larger, like um, yeah, they're they're more integrated. Yeah, they have more like Hispanic and you know Latino yeah. people like you know working with them. 
um, we just don't really. I I don't know too many like Hispanic people like here. Yeah, and there's no, there's not a there's not a whole whole lot um as especially in like the the drag scene mm-hmm. um in here. So maybe maybe I'm a little bit sensitive. I don't know. It's not really for me to decide. Yeah. Um, truthfully, I yeah, but I I just but I was like, eh. it's not a joke. That they're not jokes that I would make. No, or laugh at. Or laugh at. Yeah, I would I would kind of I would I would go Ugh, at some of them. Just be like, why? It's lazy. Yeah. Like it's it's low it's low fruit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, other than that, like the the vibe that the girls have backstage is very true. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it it I think it's a good time capsule because the the dressing rooms of the connection sounded exactly like that. Like yeah. that's what it sounded like. Mm-hmm. You were there, and the girls were kiki in and and talking about trade and mm-hmm. reading each other down. I mean, it's like that today. Yeah. Um, the word the 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 terminology they used. <clears throat> excuse me. The terminology that they used is, is some of it's still used today. Yeah. And some of it's a little bit more antiquated, but, um, you know, it's a good time capsule. This whole movie's a time capsule. Yeah. I like that word, antiquated. It's, I know, it's very... I'm taking that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do something fun with that. It's very nice. It's that. It feels good. Yeah. Um, so, before we get into any more, um, just because I have a couple of, of quick notes here, um, specifically about, like... Um, the people who worked on the set mm-hmm. or who were in the film. Um, Erica Andrews said that she was really into the script and happy to be a part of the project. Um, for those of you who don't know, Erica Andrews is, uh, she's Drag Race's uh, Roxy Andrews drag mother, and she passed away a couple of years ago due to a uh, complication with her lungs. Um, she was a very celebrated, very, uh, very um, heavily crowned uh, trans drag performer. Um, she was well known all mm-hmm. throughout the country and and internationally too. Um, she was a highly former, favored. A highly favored. Um, she's a former entertainer of the year, which mm-hmm. um, I know I've talked about a few times on this podcast. Um, until recent years, it was my favorite po- my uh, my favorite pageant. Um, until recent years <laughs> i feel like and, we could just do a whole podcast just oh my about god pageants. i would love love if y'all would like a, a podcast where we just talk about podcast uh, pageants about we pageants. could just cover each like a different pageants in like each episode yes if y'all would like that let me know because yeah. i'm totally down um but yeah she was in the she was in this film in 2010 and she she died a couple of years uh a couple of years later i believe it was uh it was the year of it was the year of Roxy season. Um, so so probably like, two thousand thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, yeah two thousand twelve was season four, I think. So two thousand twelve or thirteen was yeah. probably when. So not long after. Yeah. Um, but I'm really glad that she was in this film because mm-hmm. it's you know despite its its you know its problem its problems you know she's yeah it's it's a definitely it's a film that's a part of queer history and it's yeah it's not- very notable and she was able to be a part of it and you know it's a, it's her legacy in a way yeah her it's a part her, of her, legacy. her her presence is stamped in here forever and mm-hmm. we can go back and and we can see her and how get beautiful to hear her she talk was mm-hmm. and um get to see her act and be in a movie and get to be a you know get to be a star or something trans women absolutely get to, especially trans women who look like her yep because she looked like a Texan pageant queen. Yes, she did. And <laughs> you know, I don't want to. I, I, again, apologies. I don't like. I don't like using this word. I'm going to use it in the context of this. But um, Hollywood, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a trans actress, Hollywood's either going to want you to look uh, ridiculous, mm-hmm. or they're going to want you to to quote unquote pass. 
Yeah. Like, and I don't like that. Mm-hmm. So you have to either be a joke or you have to be passable to their standard. Right. And and to me, you know, Erica is like the height mm-hmm. of femininity, of, beauty, of femininity. Like a, she's beyond a goddess. Like breathtakingly beautiful, mm-hmm. but. You know, she might, you know, she, she couldn't just be in any old, in any old film, you know, back in 2010 and even today, probably like, yeah, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder for, for people, for women like her. So, um, for her to get to have that moment before she passed, I'm really, I'm really thankful that she got that. Um, so if you haven't seen it and you want to be blown away, look up her, uh, Erica Andrews, um, mommy dearest EOY talent. Uh, it is fierce. Yes. Um, so let's talk about just the use of the just the use of the word in this. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've touched on that much yet. No, we haven't. And um, I'll say the word. I'll say it. It's tranny because uh, the title of the movie and instilled to this day when you look it up and, and on official platforms, it is available on Tubi TV. By the way, to watch for free. Yeah. Um, it's, I won't say it. It's ticked off trainees with knives. Yeah. Um, as a trans woman, I feel like I have the right yeah, to say that can. and reclaim that word. It is your word. And I, I, I take no, no qualms with saying that. So, um, you know, for the record, it is not a word that should be used to describe you though. No, okay. nor will I like it to be used to describe me. If I, if I say it about myself in the context of a joke with someone I know very intimately and dearly in the privacy of our own conversation that's one thing but when you put something on a public platform or say it mm-hmm. to someone that is that it becomes you ha- you immediately already have responsibility for that because it's affecting someone exactly yes. and that's where i think that we're going to be able to have this conversation about the about the use of the word in the film mm-hmm. is that it's it's not it's not anybody's word to use and mm-hmm. it depends on the context that the person who is affected by it is using it yes for themselves i, I agree whether how you how you can respond mm-hmm. to it so yeah i'm gonna use the word just here and there when we're, when we're talking about it and i feel like it's appropriate you know you know yeah, for you me to say it. i'm not going to just say it for no reason but you know in the context of us discussing it and discussing you know the use of the word in this film and how it relates you know culturally you know i'm I, you know I'll, I'll i'll say it sometimes but you know that's yeah and it's not even a word that you use very often in your in your daily like you i don't it's not in my you've vernacular used it no. a few times when um usually when making um jokes about the way people see you mm-hmm. and they're they're more or less like it's a combination of like self-empowerment and self-deprecation in the same way that i call myself a faggot yeah. This will be like one of the only episodes where I don't bleep out me calling myself a faggot because I don't want to. It's important to the conversation. Yeah. yeah. The and conversation. if we're sitting here saying, you know, hey, I'm saying it for this reason, then why would we bleep it yeah, out? Yeah. Normally I do because I don't want to get in trouble with Apple. So Apple, please don't block me. Yeah. But don't, um, you can't, don't, don't block us, Apple. Don't block us. But um, we're, we're talking about using these words in ways that I think are okay in your personal life with you. And it, it's a, it's about your relationship with yourself and your reclamation of those words for your own personal reasons. T. But no one is saying you can put these, throw these words around and use them in on stage or on a microphone or in ways like that. Because once again, like I said before, when you put those words on a public platform for other people to consume, they become 
you know, you, you have a responsibility. Mm-hmm. You have a responsibility about that, yeah. Agreed. Which is why I'm taking this time to take the responsibility and explain why I'm using the words. Yeah. So I'm less upset with the, um, with the word being used in the title. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of for the reasons that we've already talked about. Um, I'm of the mindset that words can be reclaimed by yes. the communities that they have, that they mm-hmm. actually impact. Yeah, and um, while this m- was not directed and created immediately by a trans person, it uh, includes a lot of trans people. Yes. A lot of trans people have their hands in this film. Um, Both on screen and off. Yes. So. And, um, uh, you know, it empowered, this movie empowered a lot of, you know, of a lot of those people. And, um, you know, I so I, I, I don't personally take issue with it. Yeah. But, you know, at the time, while it was more, you know, prominent and prevalent to hear that word being thrown around in the gay community or with, um, within, you know, context of jokes, um, even in mainstream, you know, content on Comedy Central, the stand-up specials, you would, so you'd sometimes hear this word too. And, um... Or it would be thrown as an insult, you know, to someone who looks like they don't, you know, adhere fit with to, adhere to yeah. the gender binary. Um, it's getting used a lot to, for Marjorie Taylor Greene right now, which I hate. Yeah, I do hate because I as well. hate her, and I'm like, why like, are you calling someone that's so disgusting and despicable, like a, some, a trans that I yeah. that I think of as goddesses. Mm-hmm. You're using it to describe someone who's wholly a fucking bitch. Yeah, and you're re- trying to relate it, and and that's that's a that's it's another. Not clever. It's, it's not, not clever. clever. It's not clever. You're Some not of the most funny. interesting and intelligent people I've ever met in my entire life are trans women. So for you to ever try to say that someone looks like a trans woman or reminds you of a trans woman to insult them or tear them down to me is laughable. Yeah. Yeah, fuck, fuck Marge Taylor Green and fuck everybody who's making that joke. Yeah, that's but, not um, funny. Hey, divas. You might recall back whenever I was explaining the plot that there was a moment whenever Bubbles calls Pinky and Pinky uses a tracking app on her phone to find her. Well, girls, I want to tell you about something called Life360. It's an app you can download on your Android or your iPhone and it lets you create circles. These circles are used to create like little social um, like little social networks, basically, where you can uh, share your location in real time with the people that you select to be in that circle. I use it, my sister Salem uses it, my husband uses it, and I'm probably gonna make Dolly use it. It lets you see where your friends are in real time. So if one of my sisters is out of town for a gig and they don't make it to their hotel, I can alert the police if I can't contact them and they can use that info from the app, showing where they were at what time, down to the minute, to hopefully find them unharmed and get them back safe to me. You can check in at locations as well to let your circle know that you've arrived, or you can set up automatic check-ins when you arrive at a location. When my sister gets home from a bar, I get a notification on my phone. If your friend is going to meet a stranger on Grindr, they can check in so that you know where they are, and if anything weird happens, you're able to give that info to the police, and they can use that to find them. It's a scary thought, worrying about your friend's safety, especially whenever they're in communities that face heightened violence. So do yourself a favor, get the girls together, and get the app. This isn't a paid spot. I just love you guys and I want you to be safe. There is a premium version that you can get, but the free version's what I use, and it's just fine. Again, it's called Life360, and it's free on the App Store. Now, 
back to Really Queer. Um, so one thing I wanted to bring up too, uh, as far as like with, uh, while we have our 2021 goggles off, mm-hmm. um, is that in 2010, the use of, of the T slur was very different for, for gay men, mm-hmm. um, including myself who, you know, in my, in my drag house, that was what we called each other, not just trans women. Like mm-hmm. we were all. It's kind of like the word bitch. It like... was like the word bitch. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, um queen sis it was used in the same way that like you'll hear like i mean you you know i'll be like hey sis yeah like that was how we used it mm-hmm. and our intention behind using the word um came from the way that the you know the house mother so to speak or the matriarch of the house used it so um i that's why i don't really take too much i don't really take issue with the word so much being used in this film mm-hmm. um necessarily now today if I'm, if somebody tried to make this movie i'd be like ma'am, ma'am. Unless, it was a, unless it was a trans woman i'd be like you know what you do what you want to do yeah and even then but like the, but even then i'd be like are you are you sure it's already been done like in the context you know the, the, the culture the conversation already happened and we moved on from it so it's if this hadn't been made and it was being made today you know, yeah. I don't like, okay, to, tell, okay. I don't like yeah. to tell minorities what they... Well, and what would our perception of the word even be without this film being released in 2010? Exactly. The giant controversy happening happening around it and, you know, exactly. the kind of cultural shift beginning, you know, to lean more towards, you know, holding ourselves accountable for the words we use and yeah. how they affect people. And this, the conversation around this movie, I remember the reaction to it from um, from gays at the bar. We, we talked about this movie. We mm-hmm. talked about it in, in, the, in the house, like... I can't believe that they're so mad about this. This is our word to use. Like, we're all T-slurs. Yeah. Like, we're, none of us fit in the, none of us, none of us are, like, Cisgender. men. None like, of us look not... like men. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was presenting, essentially, I mean, not, you know, not to the degree that, you know, I was, like, fully transitioned or anything, but I was presenting female quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when I was, like, 18. So, like, the the early time that I was that I was around, like that was something that we all just kind of we all just kind of got from the trans women in our lives. Like they yeah. were they they kinda it's kinda like whenever you know how some people will say like, Well, um, I got permission to use that word, the N word. Yeah. It's very like that was our that was our argument. And, you know, eleven years later My my trans friend told me I could exactly. say Exactly. Um, my trans friend lets me call her that and it's fine. Exactly. And yeah. the, the thing was, is that, you know, they, they used it lovingly to refer to themselves and to us. And we used mm-hmm. it in the same, the same way. Yeah. Um, well, and it wasn't a slur to them. Right. But right. it was a slur to others. Yes. And it wasn't until I kind of grew up and, you know, it was it didn't take long. Like I'm only 28 now. Um, but you're that young. I know, right? I have a baby. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But the, um, wait, you're kidding about me being young? No, about being shocked about it. Oh, okay. I thought you were, my brother just turned 18. I'm really, very very emotional right now. Sydney, I thought you were at the, like, the ripe age of 41. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, like, you know, we used, we used that word, uh, you know. My sister's age. What's that? Like, you're my sister's age. That's weird to me. Because my sister's so ignorant. And you're not. And I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm very intelligent and beautiful. Yes. And stunning and gorgeous. And sexy. And sexy. And he's like, you have the fattest, juiciest, roundest, most plump, high-sitting ass I've ever seen. But yeah, like, it wasn't a sort of them. So I, you know, years later I learned the importance of uh, vocabulary, language, stuff like that. So now, today, I wouldn't use that word. But back then we did. So I, like, I understand both sides of it from a perspective of, like, 2010. Like, I understand why people were upset about it when I have my 2021 goggles on because now I understand their point of view. But back then we didn't understand their point of view. We just saw it as, oh, great, here come the PC police again. Um, Even before the PC police was a thing. Like, so I understand it from a 2020, like a 2010 perspective. And I can see it today. Like, that's not acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, Watching this movie in retrospect is fine to me, but I do understand how, no one could make a movie nowadays and, you know, call it ticked off T-slurs with knives. And yeah. the same way no one could make, you know, not comparing not comparing the historical struggle of, you know, trans people and, and black people. But no one could make a movie with, now, like, a, a t- movie title nowadays with the N-word in it. That would be horribly unacceptable. We can't oh my God, do that. No. no matter what context you're making that in. And even ten years ago you couldn't do it. But the, the cultural shift behind... The T-slur and then the N-word are, are very different. And those are two very different histories. Yeah. And it took us longer, I think, to come to where we are now with the T-slur. Yeah. Um, no, it's... Um... And now mostly referring to it in, in official contexts uh, as the T-slur and not just saying that word. Uh, Sarah, not to keep talking about Sarah Andrews. Oh, um, please do. I mean, look, she... look, at what, look, look at what we're doing. We're doing a podcast about a, a controversial movie with trans women. And... Right. She calls it um, either ticked off grannies with knives, which, or, is, hilarious. which is hilarious, or uh, I've seen her use the, the caterpillar emoji mm-hmm. for it, and I think it's adorable. Um, and her rationale behind it is because they, like, caterpillars start off and like, yeah. they transform into something beautiful. Yeah. Which is super adorable. It's very She's cute. So cute. She is. She's perfect. Um, we love you, Sarah Andrews. Yes, if you're listening, babe, I love you. Um. So please do my hair. <laughs> please. Oh my God. Please, please do a wig for me. Please respond to my DMs about a wig. I'm sure you have like four thousand. No tea. You have to do an official. You have to do an official order form on the website. Oh. Yeah. There's a. The, go to the kitchen. I didn't say it was smart. Yeah. Go to the. Yeah. Go to the website. You're if you want to, if you want to get hit by Sarah Andrews, go to her website and go to the um, uh, put in a ticket with the kitchen or whatever. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'll get Jacob to do that for me. Um, so um, one one note that I did have, I'm kind of wrapping up the, I'm kind of wrapping up here. I know we've gone over a little bit. Um, um, one of the things that I really like about this film, um. Is the representation obviously, which we talked about yes. ad nauseum? I think mm-hmm. um, Erica Andrews playing immigration, Crystal playing bubbles, as well as Chase's cam- uh, Chaselin's cameo as Connie Lingus, um, and also working behind the scenes doing hair, makeup, and wardrobe. Yes, as a trans woman. As a trans woman, uh, we have um, at least queens playing trans women, which I would prefer over straight cisgender men like. Uh, like Wazamo or Swayze. Uh-huh. Um, to Wong Fu, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yes. You know, those and I will, types of films. I will cover those films eventually, you guys. Um, I promise. But as as queer people and as a trans woman and as queen, as, as a trans woman myself and as a queen, both of ourselves, it's so much better to watch and take in an actual, like, trans woman or a drag queen 
playing one on like on a movie on a piece yeah. of media it feels so good to seeing watch a drag, seeing a drag queen do um like portray a trans woman is less offensive to me because mm. at least it's a, at least it's a queen, queer identity uh, is, is a queer identi- identity and also someone who whether it's a costume or not is aware acutely aware of what it means to um present to, to present and to to be you know because whenever you're whenever you're trans or a drag queen you have i mean obviously very different you know different realities in your day-to-day but mm-hmm. um you realize in a way how hard it is to be a woman you know we we might you know grow up you know being raised and told that we're you know supposed to be one way and then you know we put on the you know we put on the the makeup we feel good and we feel powerful or whatever but um i don't know just just seeing a trans a trans person portrayed by a trans person feels really good obviously yes, absolutely done by a drag queen still preferred over patrick swayze yep and like with i love absolutely i will go ahead and say i love to wong fu i love Chris, uh, priscilla queen of the desert i love them they're dumb i don't want to hear anything from anyone about this i've never watched to wong fu That is honestly a gag. It can be a gag. I've never watched it. I have watched Priscilla Queen of the Desert, and once I hated that, and then I was like, I don't need to watch Too Wong Fu. And no, you really don't. Not if I don't. See. Although I, I, I want to see. I will eventually make you watch it. I'll, I'll watch it for you. But I, I want to see queer people representing queer people in Agreed. media. Yeah. No, it was. Uh, it was very much the target audience was not queer people. The target audience was. Um, was straight people who were at least somewhat open to the idea of feeling empathy for yeah, queer people. So, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it has its place in queer history. and mm-hmm. but It does, but it's not my history. No, it's he. Not my history, not damn my it. History. I'll take ticked off over to Wong Fu any day. No, it's he. Um, and this film, this film um, gives a certain, uh, like the, the finale, the like the catharsis that we talked about before, mm-hmm. gives you a certain, um, you get them cuz, or... You know, whatever kind of moment where you go ahead, girl. Yeah, you go ahead. Like it gives you like that feeling, um, especially when we're faced with with mm-hmm. tragedies every day. Um, other than that, um, strongest performances for me were Erica Andrews as Emma and uh, mm-hmm. Jenna Sky as Tipper. Mm-hmm. Even though I didn't really like Tipper's character, Jenna no. Sky did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, Willem did a great job as Rachel. Yes. Um, as far as the cameo parts go. Didn't really love the Asian, the the white man play, playing an Asian guy. Yeah, I love didn't. Chase. I didn't care for that either. I did love yeah, Chase. As I enjoy. I didn't yeah. get the name of the guy who played um, Phil Lacio. I didn't but, either, but I'm sure he's um, lovely. He was very low key, but yeah, he was the straight man. He was chases, supposed to be yeah, Chase's the, character. So they, it was a good, it was a good combo um, for those. Yeah, they were very two. fun, and um, also. Um, the ending scene was very, very, like, fun, and, you know, while we talked about the movie kind of falling apart in terms of timing and editing, uh, towards the end, um, I will say that the, that the looks that they turned, um, at the end of the movie, and even, even, uh, you know, the different parts of the movie were all very, very fun, and, um, you, you can all attribute that to an amazing trans woman, Chaselyn Wade, who, you know, did hair and makeup, um, on a lot of the film and took all creative liberties on the final scene in the film. Which, Which we'll learn awesome. more about um, in the in the part two of the episode because this is a two parter. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is 
a very special interview. Yes, a very special interview with uh, Chase, Chase Lynn Wade, who is going to be joining us. Um, I'm going to post the episode next week. Um, so be on the lookout for that. She played Nurse Connie Lingus. Um, she had a lot of credits, actually, because she also did hair, makeup, wardrobe, and was a stunt double to Erica Andrews, which is such a serve and mm-hmm. honor, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, be looking on the, uh, be looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a bit long, but it's a very good conversation. Um, and we get to hear from someone who was actually on the film about what they think about it today. Mm-hmm. Um, their relationship with the word itself and also the word in context of the film. Yes. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out. Um, Dolly, where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram at dollyparts underscore or on Twitter at dollyparts s with an extra s at the end. So dollyparts with two s's at the end. I know, I'm Sydney's going to teach me how to get it all together and have consistency across all platforms. And you can find me on Facebook just looking up dollyparts and like my page. Yes. And you can find Really Queer on Twitter and Instagram at Really Queer. And you can find me, Sydney Hampton, at the Sydney Hampton on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank <laughs> you.